Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series A Father's Farewell, a study of the book of 2 Timothy. The book of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son Timothy, and through him to all the sons and daughters of God. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Well, today we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it's verses 14 to 17. I was actually pretty excited when I realized how this was going to work out with Roger and Marilyn being here. Uh, I can hardly think of a better passage uh, to honor their time here with us than 2 Timothy. It's almost like God worked it out that way. Um, So you can open up in your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible. Uh, I'll be using the New International Version. Hear now the inspired word of God. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This week, or in the last two weeks, I read about two different surveys that were just done. The first survey uh, was done by the Barna Association, and it's an American Worldview Inventory. They do this every year. This is their results for 2022. And in it, they asked people whether they were Christians or not, whether they identified as Christians. And among the people who said, yes, I am a Christian, when they asked them further questions, 55% of self-identified Christian parents of preteens, so parents who have kids who are younger than teenagers, 55% of those Christians said, Yes, I think the Bible is the accurate words of God, which means 45% of Christians did not believe the Bible is the accurate words of God. Let that sink in, almost half. Furthermore, only one-third of those parents, 33%, said the Bible is my primary source of moral guidance. They're probably looking to Twitter for some reason. Now, it's not surprising. I could continue going through the study. And so then when they began to ask doctrinal questions about what Christians believe, there was mass confusion. And when they asked clear moral teachings of the Scripture, there was just utter confusion among the people, which is not surprising because if only half of them believe the Bible is the Word of God and only a third of them are going to the Bible to find out right from wrong, it's not surprising that there is such confusion. But I read another survey this week, this will really make you happy, that during COVID, 26 million Americans stopped reading the Bible. Whatever amount they had been reading before, 26 million said, yeah, I'm not really doing it anymore. So there is a famine of the Word of God in our culture. And so today, I want to talk about the power and the importance 
of God's written word. So let's dive into the text. Now, Paul here is speaking to Timothy, and I remind us that, you know, he had been speaking about the last days, and he was saying, look, in the last days in which we live, because the last days, according to the Scripture, started with the first coming of Jesus and run all the way to the second coming, so all Christians have always lived in the last days, and Paul said the last days are going to be marked by moral decay and by uh, deception is going to be there. And so when we come to verse 14, he begins by saying, but you, or but as for you, as the NIV has it here. And it's a strong contrast. In, in Greek, you can move words around in a sentence to give them more emphasis, and he does that. It's a strong emphasis right off. He's saying, Timothy, I've been telling you about these false teachers who are deceived and deceiving others, and as a result, there's this moral confusion. That's what they're doing. That's what's going on. But as for you, Timothy, there's going to be a contrast. Don't be looking at them. Don't follow their example. There is a different way for you. Now, Timothy might say, I'm living here in Ephesus. I'm seeing these heretical teachings. I'm seeing the moral decay that comes out of it. What am I going to do? And Paul says it's very simple. Timothy, you must continue in what you have learned. You have to continue in the sound teaching of the Word of God that has come to you. It's pretty interesting when I read this the other day because the particular Greek word that's translated here as continue or in some translations it says remain is normally used by John. For example, in John 15 when Jesus says, you know, a branch doesn't uh, live unless it remains in the vine, unless it abides in the vine. It's that same word uh, where Jesus said, you have to continue in my teaching and if you do, it will set you free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. John's usually the guy that uses this word, but here Paul, writing to Timothy in Ephesus, uses that same word. He says, Timothy, you've got to abide in the word. You've got to continue in the word. You've got to stick in it. These other guys might be running off you can't do that. You stay in the Word. And he really gives two reasons. The first reason, I'll come back to the second one a little bit later, which is the nature of the Word, but the first one is he said, Timothy, you know those from whom you learned this. You didn't find this teaching in some strange way. You know from whom you learned it. Now we know, because if you go back to verses 10 and 11 where Paul said, hey, but you, Timothy, you remember all about my teaching and my way of life, how I've conducted myself. You've been with me. You've seen me suffer persecution. So certainly Paul is included in that. You learned the scripture from me. You've seen that. So Timothy, Continue in what you've learned. Don't get pulled aside by these crazy new ideas you're hearing. Stick with what you've learned. But it doesn't only include Paul. Remember, he's about to bring up Timothy's, uh, you know, that he had learned this from infancy. And if you remember back in chapter 1, verse 5, at the very beginning of the letter, Paul always kind of tips his hand to where he's going later. And at the very beginning of the letter, he says, Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And in verse 15, he's going to say, hey, they were teaching you from the time you were young. So on the way, just as a sideline for a second this morning, I want to remind uh, 
here that this is a powerful reminder of the power of a Christian family and teaching children the Scripture and the faith. This is a, just as Paul's saying this, don't miss how powerful this is, that God gives great promises to us as parents, and we need to cling to those. If you remember all the way back in Deuteronomy, in what's known as the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you've been here when we do a baby dedication, I quote this every time we dedicate a new child that's been born here into our congregation. And part of that Shema uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, it says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. It's the, it's the idea of like forming and molding and printing it into them. Impress them on your children. How do you do that? You talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your foreheads. And he goes on and says, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God here is saying, be fanatical about my word. If there's nothing else that grabs your attention, let my word grab your attention so that your kids, if you're working in the field, talk to them about the word of God. If you're going to market, go over with them the word of God. Do it from the time they are young. But notice, first the word has to be on my own heart. God always gives it this way. In verse 6, the commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. I cannot pass on what I do not possess. If I am not hungry for the word the thought that my children will somehow be hungry for the word is foolishness. If I do not regularly gather with the people of God to hear the proclamation of God's word, don't expect that my children are going to want to do that. They're not going to want to do that. It has to first be upon my heart. Then I can take that rich deposit and in faith pass it on to them. And I remind you, I plead with you, Cling to God's covenant promises. You know, in the, in the Decalogue, it's to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, there's these consequences. But to a thousand generation of those who love me. Parents, you ought to know and you ought to be counting. I'm five or six generations deep now, and I'm claiming 994 more. Okay? Are you claiming the generations? This is so, so important. Simeon and I were talking about this the other day. We were spending time together. We were going over things, and we, we were discussing that if it's not being done in the home, you cannot outsource parenting, Christian parenting, to the church. The church is here. I am so, Simeon and Shannon and, and all the young men and women around them are doing such a fantastic job. I am so grateful for how God is working in their heart and in their life. But it cannot be outsourced. It must be at home and in going down the road and in the grocery store and every other part of life, sowing the word of God in. Parents and grandparents, I say now as a grandparent, teach your children the word of God. Encourage it. Sow it. Build it day after day. So that's the first thing. Timothy continuing the word. But then notice he tells us here, because you may wonder, sometimes parents hear this and they get daunted. I mean, I'm going to get in the Bible and my kid's liable to ask a question I don't understand. 
Here's a good answer if that happens. I don't know. I will find out. Let's study that together. Okay? Actually, better is I'll find out. We will study together. But Paul brings up to Timothy, the Word of God is basically simple. It keeps pointing back to the same thing. Notice what he tells Timothy. How from infancy, or the world, the, the Greek word there can mean from young childhood. From, from when you were a young kid, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, here's one of the problems. We think the Bible's complex because I go to the Bible to see me. That's not what's in the Bible. The Bible's not about me. The Bible's about Jesus. That's what it's about. We think that the central focus of Scripture is tips for daily living. See, people stopped reading during the COVID time because I wanted to go to the Bible and I wanted this word of encouragement. Well, I might go to the Bible and it might show me my sin because that may be what I need to know at that moment. I'm going in there looking for me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. I go there looking for tips for daily living. It's about salvation. Because that is the central need. And so Paul says the, the scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And I remind you, when Timothy was an infant, what scriptures did we have? Old Testament. That's all we had. So what does the old what is the central focus of the Old Testament? Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not that complex. Wherever you are, say, how does this road get me to Jesus? How is this pointing me to Christ? How is this teaching me that I need Jesus, that I'm sinful, he is not? He's a great Savior. I'm a great sinner, he's a great Savior. It is easy to keep bringing that message up over and over and over again. And there is nothing more important for our kids and for our grandkids to hear and to know, for us to speak and to pass on to one another. See, the false teachers were trying to come up with all kinds of new and strange teachings, but Paul said, this is ludicrous. The Word keeps doing the same thing. It points you back to Jesus Christ. And if they're coming up with stuff that's not pointing you to Jesus, be very suspicious, because it is always about Him. And I read you, notice, it's so simple. Paul says, hey, all the way back when you were a little bitty kid, you started picking up on this. If Timothy could learn it as an infant, there's nothing in the Bible that tells us Timothy was smarter than Albert Einstein, okay? A child can learn it. The good news is I'm 44 years in and I'm still learning. Every day I open the Word of God and I learn, speak, oh Lord, I am here to hear. So there are parts that are harder but for the most part, it's not. We just speak and we keep pointing one another to Jesus Christ. So in these last days of deception and moral decay, Paul's saying, Timothy, first thing, you've got to be relentlessly focused on the written word, which is going to keep pointing you back to Jesus Christ. That's what you need. Whatever moral decay is going on, whatever deception's out there, it's got the same cure. Get back in the Word. Stay in the Word. Now, the reason for this, I said there were two reasons. Timothy, you learned this from, remember the people you learned it from, but the second reason and the most powerful reason is the power of God's written Word. That's why you need to do this. He's going to continue developing this in chapter 4. Whatever the problem, whatever the time, God's Word is 
powerful. That's why as we're going to be hearing next week, Timothy, preach the word. It's a simple job, Timothy. Just keep preaching the word because the power is in the word of God. And the reason for this is the source of the written word is God himself. This is so essential to hear. I'm, going to be, I'm so glad Roger and Marilyn are here. Why did they spend their life translating some old book? What, I mean, what have y'all been doing? Unless it's the word of God, then that's a life well lived. If it's not the word of God, I don't know why they were doing all that. But it is the very word of God. Hear what Paul tells Timothy. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired. Paul here uses the word, I think it's every time he uses this particular word in the, in the Bible, because it just means writings. But in the New Testament, every time it's used, it's about the Scriptures. It's always about the Word of God. And Paul is saying, I want you to know, the written Word of God, Timothy, is God's Word. And notice here he says, all Scripture, not some, not the parts you like, not the parts that agree with what our culture is liking at the moment, all Scripture. From the, the very first word, Barashit, in Genesis, chap, uh, Genesis chapter 1, all the way to the last word, and I don't remember what it is in Greek in Revelation 22, but to that last word, yeah, amen, perhaps, what, all of them. Every word in between. Jesus even said every jot and tittle. That is in, in Greek, you've got these little marks where they, they suck the eye in, and it's like the dotting of the eye. Jesus says all of that, the last stroke of a pen, it is all the word of God. And so every bit of it is this. There is stuff that goes around today, and it drives me nuts. I'm a red-letter Christian. No, I'm not. And the reason I'm not a red-letter Christian is the words that we put in red letters are no more the Word of God because our Lord spoke them than they are what Paul wrote or what Moses wrote. And that's why we do that. Because, see, there's other things. I don't like some of the stuff Paul wrote. Well, then you're being rebuked. You're being corrected. Paul wasn't wrong. You are. He was speaking by the Spirit of God. God. And notice it uses this word here, Scripture is God-breathed. Again, some translations have inspiration, but the idea in this, inspiration doesn't mean, you know, it's inspiring thoughts. It means that the source of it is God Himself. Now, this is the only occurrence of this word in the Scripture, and it's literally, you can do this in Greek like you can in German and some other languages. You can kind of put two words together, and this is the word for God and to breathe out, and it comes together. And it's the clear teaching of Scripture everywhere. This may be the only place this word is used, but it is constantly used in the Scripture. For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, at the end of his life, David is praying, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. So David's speaking, but who's speaking? God is speaking. God is speaking through David. Now, if one were a red-letter Christian, one might say, well, that was David, and he was confused. Except for 
Jesus himself tells us in Mark chapter 12, David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit declared the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, put your enemies under your feet. Jesus himself is saying David is right. The Lord was speaking through David. So when you are reading the Psalms, in that case it's Psalm 110, you are not reading David's word, you are reading God's word given through David. God breathes his word out through humans. The Apostle Peter tells us the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. In other words, Isaiah is not writing, you know, these are my thoughts about God. This is where I am today in 715 B.C. This is what I'm ruminating about God. That's not how Scripture came about. No, how did it come about? Verse 21, prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The idea of the word there is that the Spirit, like a wind, it's like catching a sail. Sailboats would do this. They were driven along by the wind. They're catching where the wind goes. The Spirit is overseeing and watching this. Men are speaking, but they're speaking from God. God is speaking, but he's speaking it through men. Each and every book is and every verse and every word is being guided and superintended by the Holy Spirit. This means the written word is not human's thoughts about God. It is God's thoughts. It's not human words about God. It's God's word to human beings. The Bible does not contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. I remind you, if you don't hear God any other time today, when I said, hear now the inspired word of God, you were hearing the very words of God. As if Jesus himself stood here in front of you and spoke, it would be no more the word of God. When Marilyn read from Corinthians, it would be no more the word of God if Jesus himself stood in front of us and spoke those words. It is the very word of God. Timothy, this is why you continue in the Word, because God has given it to us. Now, I could go more and more on inspiration. This is such an important topic. After hours on Tuesday, I'm going to dig into it a little bit more, what inspiration means and how it goes. And I've actually done an entire seminar dealing with, you know, for a couple of hours, talking about what it means that the Bible is God's inspired Word. But I hope you can feel a little bit of my passion here. If we lose this, it's over. If you don't believe, every jot and tittle is the Word of God. Shut the front doors. Turn this into a community center. Do something else. I'm serious. There, the church, apart from the Word of God, has no purpose. It doesn't matter. You are wasting your time if I'm not helping to unpack the Word of God. It does not matter what Brett thinks. It matters not. You will not hear on judgment. Well, Brett told me. No. No. What did I tell you? I gave you my word. And brothers and sisters, let me just say, 
the tribe Roger mentioned, they've never heard the word in their own language. How many translations do we have in English? How many Bibles do I have? stacked and written and I'm carrying them around on my phone and it reads to me. I can not only pick the translation, I can pick which person I like reading it to me. If there has ever been a people that has not had an excuse to not be soaked and marinated in the Word of God, it's the people I'm looking at right now. We have every availability of the Word of God. And Paul goes on and says, because it's inspired, he says the Word of God is powerful. Notice what he says there in verses 16 and 17. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When he's using the word useful, again, it's, it's useful for what God intends. Not necessarily useful for what I'm looking for, which is why 26 million people quit reading it. Because I went to it, it's as if, you know, I went to a history book and said, well, I was looking for a menu for dinner. Well, you're looking for the wrong thing in this book. Okay? The Bible is useful for what God says we need. And here's what he tells us it's useful for. Four ways it's powerful. Number one, teaching. Uh, this is the word I've mentioned before. It's a, it's a Greek word, didaskalia. Uh, which is the positive teaching of the Word of God. It is the sound doctrine from God's Word. And remember, I mentioned it's used 21 times in the New Testament, 15 times in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Overwhelmingly, when this word is used, it is used here by Paul as he nears the end of his life. It's the sound, healthy deposit of doctrine given by Paul to Timothy that he said, Timothy, you got to pass on to another generation who will pass on to another generation. Because there's other teaching out there, it's like gangrene. It's sick. It's going to spread infection. You've got to have the good stuff. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he uses it three times, for example. I'll just, we'll look at these verses in verse 6, verse 13, and verse 16 to get the idea. He says, Timothy, if you point these things out to the brothers, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching. Same word, didaskalia, this good teaching. In verse 13, until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Same word. Verse 16, which we've looked at several times. Watch your life and your doctrine. Same word, didaskalia. Timothy, you've got to keep the sound teaching. Don't suck it and start taking in gangrene and then giving gangrene out that's going to make the church sick. But if you will take this in and you will persevere in both your life and your doctrine, if you persevere in these things, it'll save you and it'll save those who hear you. It'll protect you from the bad teaching that is going on. And so the first and most important task for Timothy is to teach the Word of God. The best antidote for false ideas is the positive intake and teaching of the Word of God. And I'm going to come back in a minute to who this applies to, but I just want to say to every parent in here, the most important thing you can do is positively teach the Word of God. Don't wait until error crops up. Day by day by day, teach the Word. 
sow the word in. Then you can make correction when it needs to be, but if you haven't been doing it day by day by day, it's too late when the infection crops up. So that's the first thing. Number two, rebuking. Uh, This word means basically, I, I think he's referring to correcting false doctrine. The original meaning of the word was to test something to bring it into light to expose something and over time it came to have the idea of convincing someone of error what you were testing was their ideas you were testing their thoughts the things that they were trying to speak and so i think what paul is doing here is saying you not only preach positive doctrine you not only preach the truth of the word of god but timothy part of doing that is you're going to have to rebuke wrong thinking You are going to have to say, no, that doesn't line up with the Word of God. There's positive teaching, and then there is the the negative thing of saying, no, that is not true. I am rebuking what is not true. And then he says it's useful for correcting. This is an interesting word. It's not used very often. Part of the word is, uh, it's, it's used to correct or restore. It's the word from which we get like orthotics or orthodontics, that ortho means to restore something, to put it right, okay, or orthodoxy, to think rightly, okay, it's a word that's built on that, and it clearly has got some overlap with the previous word, but I think what Paul's doing, because remember in the last days there's two problems, there's wrong teaching and deception that you have to watch out for by teaching what's true and rebuking what's false, but there's also moral decay. And I think here Paul's starting to turn, teach positive truth, correct wrong ideas, but also now you've got to correct wrong living. You've got to correct where we're out of joint because we're giving in to moral decay and vice and sin. And then the last thing he says is it's useful for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. And I think what he's really talking about here is providing guidance or training for responsible and godly living. The the word for training is built around our word from which we get like pediatrics. It dealt with training children. That's what it was. It meant you took a child and you, you raised them, you trained them, you brought them up. Interestingly, The main way it's used in the New Testament is actually in Hebrews 12. If you remember where God as a loving father disciplines those he loves. The word is used uh, one, two, three, four times that way in Hebrews chapter 12. So part of the instruction does include discipline. Which is why again, if I go to the Bible just to get cheery, happy thoughts, I may discover that God's saying what you need is correction because you're getting yourself in trouble. Now, how I think these work, perhaps, is there's a potential chiasm here. You remember I've talked about chiasms before, where you go A, B, B prime, A prime. You kind of build it in and out. The Hebrews love doing this, and there's a little bit here, you notice if you look, that he says it's useful for teaching. This is positive doctrinal instruction. It's also useful for rebuking, which is negative correction of false doctrine. But it's useful for correcting, which is negative correction of morals. And then it's useful for training, which is positive moral instruction, which covers every part of what you and I need. It covers what I'm thinking, and it covers how I'm living. 
So in an age of moral decay, it's telling me how to live, and it's undergirding that by in an age of deception, teaching me the truth. And so the inspired Word of God is powerful to positively teach God's people right beliefs and right moral practices, to refute wrong ideas and bad moral practices. And it is powerful for, uh, to enable Timothy to positively do all of this and to accomplish it no matter what's going on. And we're going to be looking at this more next week. It doesn't, the plan doesn't change because of what's going on in the culture. If the Word of God is being embraced and received, preach the Word. If it's fallen out of favor, what do you do? Preach the Word. Why? Because the Word is still powerful. It's still the inspired Word of God. And the very person that may mock it today may be broken open by it tomorrow. Has that ever happened to anybody in here? Right? I mean, I wasn't even raised in the faith, but God's Word pierced through. So the last thing Paul says is that all of this is going to come about so that Timothy will be thoroughly equipped by the powerful Word of God. Notice he says, here's what's going on, Timothy. This is all so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's either the purpose or the result. You can argue whether this was the purpose of God's Word or it's the outcome. Pretty much ends up at the same place. The, the result of the inspired, useful, powerful Word of God is whatever is needed, you will be given. Timothy, this is why you got to continue in the Word. Whatever shifts and changes out there, the Word of God will equip you. Now here it specifically says, so that the man of God. This is probably primarily speaking to Timothy. You're the church leader. You're right there. These heresies are coming up. Timothy, you've got to do this. But brothers and sisters, it applies to every one of us. This didn't just, the, the need for the Word of God did not start applying to me when I was ordained 28 and a half years ago. It did the day I became a believer when I was 16 years old, which was a reason that the very first thing I noticed that happened to me when I became a believer was suddenly I wanted to read the Word of God. Suddenly I couldn't get enough of digging into the Word of God. So it applies to every one of us, and notice it's again for every good work. If you're wondering, how am I going to raise my kids in the midst of this? The Word of God. That's how you're going to do it. How am I going to be able to not get sucked into the moral decay? The Word of God. In a world that is giving all these crazy ideas out there, the Word of God. Over and over again. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God equips us so that we can know the truth from error, so that we can help point people to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and it helps form our character so that we can walk in righteousness. Behold the power of the written Word of God. There is nothing else that can do that for you and me. Now, how do we apply this? And we will come to the Lord's table. Two things. Number one, do I know that the Bible is God's written word? Now, I say this. You may say, well, of course we do, Brett. We're sitting here in the church. 45% of Christians in that poll don't know that. There has been a concerted effort for a couple hundred years now 
to undermine the word of God. But Jesus has told us that the scripture is God's word, that it will not be broken, and in fact he has told us that the word of God will judge us on the final day. We are living in a time where everyone wants to sit in judgment of the Word of God. That is not your job and it is not mine. I do not sit in judgment of the Word of God. The Word of God sits in judgment of me. When I come to the Word and I don't like something it says, I don't go and get advice and say, I wonder if I'm right or the Bible's right. It's right. And I'm not. I mean, most of the time when Linda and I disagree, we have a question, is Linda right or Brett's right? And what's the answer most of the time? Linda's right. That's right. But it might be, I might sneak through sometimes and she's wrong. That will not happen with the Word of God. Never, ever. What it speaks is truth. What it says is God's accurate declaration to us. And please hear me, every single church that has undermined the inspiration and infallibility of God's Word has made shipwreck of its faith. Start on that path and you will bring destruction. They always end up starting there. We're just going to, just a little bit, we're just not absolutely certain. They will end up, Jesus is not God, he wasn't raised from the dead, this isn't really sin. Every other area, they will cave on essential doctrines and they will give in to moral decay. The church will stand or fall on its belief in the inspiration of Scripture. Now, this is going to begin, and please hear me on this, with leaders who teach the Word of God to shepherd the flock. The day will come should Jesus tarry. Most of you will still be here, and I will lie dead in the grave. Please, for the love of God, never accept a man that will stand here and do anything to undermine that Word. Nothing. The second they do that, they need to be run out of town on a rail. And if you can't get them out of town, head out the back door. Don't even take time to get to the front door. Get out. That, it's a simple job. It really is. Find out what God says. Help people understand it. That's really all there is to it. It's not my job to determine truth. It's my job to accurately proclaim the Word of God. And if you leave, because we live in such a mobile age, and you are ever somewhere else, never, ever, ever, I don't care how good the music is, I don't care how nice the lights are, they got the coolest smoke show I've ever seen on Sunday morning. None of that matters. It might matter that it's even a bad idea, but don't go there. Do they preach and believe and embrace and live the Word of God? Because if they don't, nothing else matters. Always as a church. I remind you, and this is true in your family, Satan's first temptation, what did he say? Did God say? There is only one response. Stomp on the head. It's what Adam should have done. 
And because he didn't, death, decay, and destruction everywhere. Never give in to that. Jesus is in the wilderness. He is tempted by Satan. And what does Satan do? Okay, well, before I said, did God say, he's going to say yes, but maybe I can just distort it a little. No distortion. Rebuke him. You don't know. You do not understand. So brothers and sisters, do you know the Bible is the Word of God? I forgot to bring a paper Bible up here. All I've got is my iPhone this morning. But if I had, hold it up for you. Do you know it's the Word of God? Cling to that. And do I ever find myself trying to sit in judgment of God's Word? And don't quickly say no. Brothers, we're all challenged to do that. Maybe I can just twist it a little. That's destruction. So do I know that? Second question, and then we come to the table. If I believe that, because see, Paul's logic here is, Timothy, because it's the inspired word, you got to stay in it. Remain in it. Abide in it. Continue in it. So does God's written word dwell in me richly? A closed Bible does you no good. You can get a nice thing, have a nice leather-bound copy, hang it around your neck. Have it like a lucky rabbit's foot. And it'll do you just as much good. Question isn't, do I have one? Is it open? If I know how powerful God's written word is, I should do everything I can to let it fill my heart, my mind, and my soul so it can have its full effect. So we'll ask these couple questions to unpack that and we go to the table. Do I come weekly to hear God's word be read, sung, prayed, and proclaimed? Please hear me. The power of the word in the corporate worship of the church. The, the word has power when we are together to form my heart, to renew my mind, to shape my soul. And it's not the same way when I just listen to something. There is a power when we are together, and the Holy Spirit is here. Y'all understand what I'm saying? You're here, and you sense God's Spirit pressing something in. That's not your imagination. That is how God is working. Podcasts and books and radio shows are fine, but they cannot pay, compare to the power of God's word in the corporate worship of his people. Is it the highest priority? I mean, absolute high priority. It should be. Second question in doing this do I feed upon God's written word daily? Job, I'm not going to put the verse up, but Job in the midst of his affliction said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Food, Bible. If I, I've only got one, I'm going to take Bible. Do I hunger for it like that? I urge, if there is any way possible, before you do anything else tomorrow, get in the Word of God very first thing I will do tomorrow morning 
is I will have a quiet time to let the Lord begin speaking to me. Even though I'll be spending all day studying the Word, I need God to speak to me. Do I feed upon it daily? And then do I speak God's Word to and with my family and friends? Does Deuteronomy 6 sound like us? Even today when we're sitting there, will we be speaking God's Word to one another? We want it to dwell richly. There will never come the time you will not get to heaven on Judgment Day, nor will I, and have God say, you know, you just spent too much time in the Word. I will assure you that will not happen, ever. A life well lived is a, way, a life soaked in the Word of God. Now what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table, and again, this is also pretty simple. We sometimes complicate worship and the things that are going on, but the worship of the church is centered on the gospel, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And worship is centered around word and sacrament. So when we're preaching the word, the focus is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we come to the table, what is the focus? Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's what he's done to bring us salvation. So we are going to come here, and the same thing is true, I remind you, even in water baptism. We are picturing that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Everything the church does is centered on that. And so we're going to come to the Lord's table, and I'm going to, uh, we're going to do a little differently, similar to what we did a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to do kind of a confession of faith and word of invitation here, and then we will take uh, the bread and cup together, and it'll be very, very simple as we're taking the bread and cup. So I encourage you and I remind you here now, brothers and sisters, I remind you of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and he appeared in his resurrected body to many witnesses. And let us never be ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. For it is written, the righteous will live by faith. If you are here and you have received salvation by faith alone, you know you have no hope of salvation apart from Jesus Christ. You are welcome to this table with us. If you do not believe that, we encourage you to just let it pass. Don't participate because participating in this is a statement that I recognize all I bring is sin. All I am deserved is judgment. But Jesus Christ has borne the penalty for my sins and by his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he has won salvation for me. So brothers and sisters, what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he 
he comes. If you can go ahead and take the bread out. We're going to do, as I said, what we did a few weeks ago, which is very simple. I will speak what the bread and the cup are, and you can respond with thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ broken and given for you. Thanks be to God. Take and eat. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ poured out for you and your salvation. Thanks be to God. Take and drink. Let's stand together and cry out to God's Holy Spirit who inspired the Word to take all of this and seal it to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you were the one who inspired the prophets and apostles so that they wrote the very Word of God. And when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the ways of this world and the demonic spirits of the kingdom of darkness, you convicted us of sin and righteousness and judgment, opening our eyes so that we might behold Jesus in all of his glory, opening our ears so that we heard the very word of God. And opening our hearts so that we believed the gospel. For all of this, we give you thanks. We are so grateful for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And as if that were not enough, Spirit of God, you dwell in us illuminating our mind to understand the Word of God, writing the law of God on our hearts, moving us to follow our Father's decrees, forming our will so that we might love righteousness and loathe sin, and equipping us for every good work. We are so grateful, Holy Spirit, for you and your work in us. And so we ask, Spirit of God, fill us anew so that we might walk in this great inheritance this week, serving your purposes in this city and around the world. Lord, we ask all of this in the glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you agree, say amen. amen. Now, brothers and sisters, I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.